24, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. And uh, a, a few very quick words of, of preface here as, as uh, we prepare to hear God's word. Firstly, um, some of you might be wondering a little bit of what's even going on right now. I took the week off, and so here I am preaching a sermon. This is a sermon I have preached already here at Ammon Valley. And it was several years ago, and it was on a different passage. It was actually on Acts 17, which we began the service with. And so it's been adjusted, of course, for this passage of Psalm 24. And I, I sort of do this with the, um, the encouragement of, of Bob Hookstra would tell me that I should do this occasionally. He would say, you know, I, he would say that he would like to hear a, a repeat sermon every once in a while, and he would remind us. People watch reruns of TV shows, their favorite TV shows, so... Um, and so I, I, I do so rem- very fondly remembering this, that beloved man, part of our church for so many years, a blessing to me. And so I um, was thinking, you know, realizing, well, what, what's, the, what's the loss that I have of reusing a sermon? There really isn't much of a loss in that. But what's the benefit? It was that you would hear a message tonight instead of just having a time of praying and singing and, and uh, going on our way to New Year's parties. And so I was thinking it would be good just to hear God's word and so I pulled one out of the old barrel, and um, we'll, uh, we'll read Psalm 24. Um, but more maybe germane to the text, uh, some words of preparation for what we find here in Psalm 24, we generally don't think of the book of Psalms as a source for doctrine. Uh, certainly, though, there is doctrine everywhere on every page of the scriptures. Um, sometimes we think of the Psalms as more you know, they're obviously worship songs, and so they, um, they, they exalt our hearts, our souls, into the presence of God, and um, sometimes people make a, a false dichotomy between this time of worship and, and what we're called into worship, to worship the Lord with all our inmost being, praising God's holy name. They make a division between that kind of passage and learning about who God is, sort of the 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 experience of worship and the study of doctrine. Uh, But we find that in the Psalms, there's no division between those two things. We find um, doctrines all throughout the Psalms of of thinking Psalm 119 gives us a doctrine of Scripture, a doctrine of the sufficiency of God's Word and and the beauty of God's Word. Um, Psalm 139 telling us about how the Lord knit us together and, and, and cares for us every day. And in Psalm 24, we'll find doctrine as well, especially in the opening two verses, which will be our focus uh, this evening. So having already prayed, let's read this great passage of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The earth is the Lord's. The NIV translation might be more familiar. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. What great theology we find. A theology of God's creation, but also a theology of God's providence, that the earth is the Lord's. 
It continues to belong to the Lord. It always will belong to the Lord. All of creation will always be the Lord's possession. This introduces us into this doctrine of what is called God's providence. You could see the word on the screen, the blessing of knowing God's providence. And what do we mean when we talk of providence? It's really kind of a theological word that people might not have in their daily vocabulary. And we can break down the word of providence, and you can see a verb within that word. If you lop off the final three letters within that word, you see another word, provide. And so from there, you can see that God's do- the doctrine of God's providence is telling us that God will provide for everything that he has made. In old speeches, like uh, actually often in presidential inaugural addresses, I think of something like Lincoln's second inaugural address, you would find references to divine providence, and it would be capital P providence. There would be references in um, not just presidential addresses, but um, in literature, in especially sermons, of the providence of God. And that capital P providence would, would refer to a special kind of provision that is particular, particularly attributed to God. And so uh, people in previous generations and previous centuries would be very familiar with this concept that the Lord God is in control of everything in the world. But let's break down the word a little bit further and we can find some, some interesting meaning when we get very literal in um, discerning the components of the word itself. The word provide is a combination of two Latin terms, pro, meaning before, and vide, meaning to see, interestingly. That's where we get our word video from. And so video has to do with watching something. So before, to see. Therefore, the literal understanding of the word provide would be to see something before, to see something before. So let's apply that literal sort of wooden translation of the word to our understanding of what God's providence means. We think of providing often as a response to something, but God's providence, he, in God's providence, he sees something beforehand and gives everything that's necessary for life through the circumstances of our life already. To see something before is to be ahead of the events that unfold in the future. So the doctrine of God's providence is that God is out ahead of everything. He's not just sovereign right now, but he has a plan that is unfolding just as he wants it to. He knows before what will happen tomorrow and in the year ahead and until the end of time. So his plan for his creation is complete already. His plan is complete and he is upholding every part of his creation so that it fulfills the plan that he's made for it. He knows everything that will happen in 2024. And that's really the the takeaway tonight. He knows, he sees before, and he provides. Furthermore, he doesn't just know about the year ahead, but, but nothing can happen in the year ahead outside of his sovereign will. And so he works, 
He's at work. He's active. It's not just as though God is omniscient, knowing all, but he is omnipresent, omnipowerful. Um, that is, he is working in the world and not just sort of standing far off with a knowledge of the world and how it should work. This means that God is not only giving us what we need within a day, but he's setting things up in our lives so that we'll have what we need tomorrow as well. The world will be as God wants it to be tomorrow. I think that's one of the lessons and doctrines we can take away from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, which means the world will be as God wants it to be today and tomorrow and every day. So in Psalm 24, it's really actually an interesting context to find that doctrine of God's providence, this really expansive view about how everything in the world belongs to God because Psalm 24 is about Jerusalem. Uh, If you still have your Bibles open, you would notice that this is the famous passage where the Lord is entering his temple. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up that the, the king of glory may come in. This is It's believed that this is a song that would have been sung when David was entering into Jerusalem with the the Ark of the Covenant, um, moving the Ark of the Covenant from from its temporary home into the permanent dwelling place of the temple in Jerusalem. And so why would that context be, um, be helpful for us to realize in interpreting these first two verses? Well, think of it this way. It, this passage starts by recognizing that God is not just sovereign over Jerusalem. So there's all this attention in Psalm 24 about the temple, Jerusalem, what is happening in this this little nation of Israel. There's a lot of attention there. But the passage reminds us right away, it's not just Jerusalem that belongs to God, not just the temple where the Lord dwells, but the earth is the Lord's and everything in it So David is remembering that all of this belongs to God. Before the attention is narrowed down to Jerusalem, David reminds us everything belongs to God. And and that really elevates their desire to worship God in Jerusalem because that great God of creation is entering into his holy temple in um, the city, the holy city, Jerusalem. Some psalms start the other way. Um, Some psalms start with a human problem. They start with recognizing there's some suffering happening in uh, the life of the psalmist or um, a different author of the psalm, of um, uh, David or some other author of the psalms. And so it starts with suffering. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Um, How long, O Lord, should I wrestle with these thoughts within me? And then the view sort of goes upward from there. The view shifts from the human experience to the divine perspective through the psalm. And this is the opposite pattern, where we begin with the doctrine of God. We, be, we begin with the, the Lord's view over Jerusalem, that everything belongs to him. And then that truth gives even more power to the truths that follow after, where God is then entering into his temple. So the same truth precedes the upcoming year. As you think about the year that is ahead, do you start by thinking of your problems and the things that are happening in the world, or do we begin, like Psalm 24 does, saying, everything belongs to God, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, 
And then we apply that truth to tomorrow, to this church, to your workplace, to your family, to your relationships. This truth that everything belongs to God is, I think, a helpful truth to keep in mind as we start our year. Instead of starting the year by thinking about yourself and the world, we consider that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Just pausing for a moment to to make an application. Um, Do you like to take care of what you have made? If you've spent a, a long time, I know there's various types of hobbies in our church, woodworking, gardening. Um, People enjoy creating. That's part of uh, the image of God uh, seen in us, that we have a desire to create, to make things. Do you desire to care for what you have made? The answer is, of course, yes, especially if we've put a lot of effort and love people say blood, sweat, and tears into a team or um, a yard or a car or a career. It's good to make these things and to work towards them and you want to take care of each of those things and steward them well. Then how much more will God love to take care of what he has made? How much more will God love to take care of you that you are his creation how much more will god love to take care of the church which christ has bought with his own blood sometimes this truth could escape us and we could almost think we have to earn god's care but based on this passage psalm 24 the earth is the lord's and everything in it god made it and we can extrapolate easily from that god will take care of it god will take care of you an example of this that I've seen in, in my years of ministry in my, my former congregation. How does this work out in people's lives, this doctrine of providence, of God's care? I'll give you an example of a man who was living away from the church for almost his whole life. He grew up in the Christian Reformed Church and through various bad decisions and addictions really wandered away from the church Um, And so when I arrived in my last congregation, he was certainly nowhere to be seen on a Sunday morning, would would sit in his lazy boy and his family would go to church without him and then he would return or they would return and the rest of the Sunday would go on um, doing whatever the family wanted to do. But something prompted this man to need to go back to church. His very saintly mother, her name was Adrian. She was aging and she needed physical help getting to church and so it fell to him and his responsibility was to take her to church. His mother loved to be in church and so recognizing and having some compassion within him, he said, well, she loves to be there so he's going to come to church with her and so he did this in her final months of life. It had been decades since he was last in church, but out of love for his mom, he drove her and he even would enter into the sanctuary and sit by her. His wife had been praying for for many, many years that he would come to church. Just 
pleading with the Lord that he would turn to Jesus, that he would wake up, that he would come and receive the offer of grace, that he would enjoy Christian fellowship in church. His wife was just, just desperately crying out to God that, that he would return. And he, he did for his mother's sake. And although the circumstances were not pleasant for the need for him to return, his mom's um, poor health, um, his wife was thankful that, that finally they, they were able to, to attend church together. And eventually his mother died. And um, the big question then, uh, will he just stop coming? Uh, the answer is no. He continued to come with his wife, his many children and grandchildren were a part of the church as well at that point. And I remember one Sunday, I even remember the slides that I used. I don't remember all my slides, but uh, for some reason this stands out in my mind. And I was preaching on the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And you might remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives the famous um, parable of the wise and foolish builders that the, the wise builder is the one who's built his house on the rock and the storm uh, beats against that house and, and it stands firm. The, the foolish builder is the one who's built his house upon the sand. The winds rage against that house and it falls in a great crash. And I remember encouraging the congregation to build your life on the rock of Christ. And it was later that week that this man learned that he had terminal cancer that the storm had arrived in his life, but God had prepared him. God's providence was revealed so clearly in that, that moment where, where the man who would not have been ready, but by the grace of God, to hear that diagnosis, was made ready because of the compassion the Spirit stirred in him for his ailing mother, and his desire to continue hearing the gospel week after week in church so that he would be ready to hear this devastating news. And when the storm came, his life had been built back on the rock, the rock of Christ. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's how God's providence looks. The events of this man's life were organized and orchestrated in such a wonderfully loving way by God that this man was spiritually, emotionally, philosophically prepared to meet the Lord. And he did end up passing away uh, several months later from, from cancer. So God was working all the time in his life. He was ahead of him, so far ahead of him in the sense that everything was being prepared so that this man could know the grace of Christ and would even have confidence moving towards um, the end of his earthly life, hearing the gospel, believing in Christ, returning to the fold. That's God's providence at work. The Heidelberg Catechism asks a good question. How does this doctrine help us? And you can see the words are in orange on the screen behind because I hope that you would respond 
aloud by reading these words together as a church. Brothers and sisters, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. Now this doctrine will only help you if you believe it's for you. And it's not just a doctrine for some people, for the church more broadly, for creation more broadly, if we think almost in a wrong way about Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it. We can almost kind of make that abstract and philosophical, but including ourselves in the earth, that we would belong to God. These words only impact you if you really believe they apply to you, that, that you could be patient. Can you be patient when things go against you? You can if you remember the, the providence of God. Will you be thankful when things go well or will you take credit for it yourself you'll be thankful if you believe all these the good things you do the good things you experience are the result of the providence of god so instead of becoming prideful when things go well we become thankful and for the future an apt message for a day like today for the future for 2024 we have confidence why god is faithful Nothing can happen. Nothing can separate us from his love. The doctrine is not based on speculation. It's not a, just a sentimental, nice thing to think about as we think about the year ahead. But the word of God proclaims that God's providence is real and it is evident and it is perfect. And you can ask any believer at the end of his or her life, if the, what was the plan that God had for you, a good plan? And the believer will say, yes. God has been good. God has provided. God has brought me safely and is bringing me safely home. That believer won't give you all of the reasons why everything happened. That's not included in the doctrine of God's providence, that we would know the exact reason why that man didn't go to church for all those years, and it was, did cause him suffering in his family. We won't know the exact reason for every diagnosis or every stumble or every sin that we commit. We won't have a kind of an omniscience ourselves through this doctrine of God's providence, but on the face of a dying Christian, you'll see peace. You won't have an exhaustive knowledge of all that has happened in their life, but that person will be simply thankful and confident in God. I use the death of a believer as an example because it's really those moments nearing the end of our lives when we rely most totally on God's providence. There's nothing more we can do. That's what the doctors will say at times to, to each of us, if the Lord should tarry, if he should wait, to hear that message from the doctors. There's nothing more 
a doctor can do. So the Christian can still say, but I can depend on God. I can trust God. There's so much more that he can do. That isn't just the case when life is nearly over. It's true for us today. It's true for us as we think about the year ahead. We'll sing just in a moment. He's got the whole world in his hands. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's got the whole world in his hands. You know, it's often these, these little children's songs that, that might cause us to feel the most emotional <laughs> or would, would really resonate. You know, he's got the tiny little baby in his hands. He's got the mommies and the daddies in his hands. He's got, you know, sometimes in our house we say the meerkats and the penguins <laughs> in his hands, <laughs> picking favorite animals. And it's all true. That's the message certainly at the end of Job. It's all in God's hands. Nothing that happens to you is a surprise to God. Lots of surprises that, that we feel and experience. Nothing is a surprise to God. So instead of worrying, instead of becoming afraid of some disaster entering into our lives, we live with confidence that we belong not to ourselves but to God. If we were in control, there would be reason for great concern. If we were in control of this church or of our lives or of our workplaces, there would be constant reasons for stress and worry and concern, but we're relieved of the burden of figuring everything out. We're relieved of the burden of making every decision just perfectly so that everything can come together in just the way I want it to, can almost become an obsession for some people concerning their health or their career or even things like theology for Pastor Zach and I. But God is in control. And this is so much more than just a popular platitude that everything happens for a reason. The Christian can gladly say, everything happens according to God's sovereign plan. Everything happens according to God's perfect and unalterable plan and God is working everything together for good. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.